Hello, my beautiful boons, and welcome to today's episode. This episode is all about FOMO. I'm very excited to do this episode because I've had a lot of questions, listener questions about FOMO, and I'm going to be covering how to no longer be someone that suffers from FOMO. I'm going to be telling you exactly what FOMO is versus what it isn't. And I'm going to tell you how you can deal with people around you that have FOMO that make you feel guilty all the time because you might not have invited them somewhere or whatever. Okay. So a lot to pack into today's episode. I do have a brain fact and I also have a listener question at the end of the episode. Just a quick little update on life. Everything's been going amazing. Cannot complain. I have a trip booked to the States, which I'm so excited about. I'm going to be going to LA with my cousin Giselle later this month in a couple of weeks. And oh, I cannot wait because I've gone to LA a couple of times and I was even teaching Pilates there, which was a strong vibe. But we're going back there and we're doing all the things that we do. We love going to improv nights. There's some phenomenal improv nights there. Obviously, you know, eating all the food and whatever, going to all our local places that we used to go to together. If you guys haven't already, I've got a episode on here with my cousin Giselle called Shit Happens Literally. Uh, and it's all about, anyway, just go check it out. It's hilarious. So what, yeah, we're going to go to spoken word poetry night. We're going to walk probably five hours every single day. Definitely want to go to a basketball match. Uh, just all the fun things. I've got some friends that live in LA. When I used to live there, I lived with my friend Carly. So I just honestly, and Carly's also been on the podcast, so I cannot wait. And then after LA, I'm there for about 10 days. I then go and spend two weeks in New York and I have never, and this is such a shock to me because I feel I would love it. I've never been to New York. So if I see any beans in New York or LA, I will die of joy if you come up and say hello to me because it's the most exciting thing when someone comes up and says hello to me. And then to be in another country and that happened is just like mind-blowing. Like when I was in Bali and that happened, and I was like, this is fucking unbelievable. So that is my life update. Let's get straight into the episode of today, starting with our brain fact. Okay, let's start with the brain fact of today. So the brain fact of today is L-theanine. What is L-theanine and how does it affect the brain and how does it help alleviate stress, mood disorder symptoms such as anxiety and how it assists with sleep as well, okay? Okay, what is L-theanine? It's a naturally, it's, it's an amino acid. It's a naturally occurring non-protein amino acid and it's found in quite high quantities in green tea. Now, it's quite an interesting amino acid because the effects that it has on the brain, on humans and also in in mice and rat models is quite impressive what it can do for the brain and how it can benefit you quite a bit. By the end of this, you'll be wanting to drink a cup of green tea every single day, I can assure you. So the molecular structure of this L-theanine is really close to L-glutamic acid, okay? So it's believed that this L-theanine performs its actions and is mediated via glutamate receptors. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go into GABA and glutamate in a second. But basically, it acts on the same receptors that L-glutamic acid acts on. So it it basically competes at the binding site that glutamate binds to, and its molecular structure also allows it to to pass through the blood-brain barrier, so it can have really strong effects within your central nervous system, so your brain. It's also likely that it blocks, it can in certain areas, block glutamate receptors within the central nervous system. And when it's blocking or modulating or modifying what's going on at the glutamate receptor, it's limiting excitation, okay? So when you look at glutamate, it's excitability. Glutamate is the major excitatory neurotransmitter in the brain. So that's where excitation and activity is occurring versus GABA, which is the major inhibitory neurotransmitter. And that's kind of increasing inhibition, lowering activity. Okay. Another thing that they believe is that L-theanine can also exert its effects on GABA receptors, enhancing GABA activity. And because of, because of this enhancement of GABA activity, it also helps increase dopamine and serotonin because dopamine and serotonin are linked to activity within GABA, okay, and, or GABA receptors. So L-theanine, it's not a sedative. It's not going to cause you sleepiness. It's not going to cause you drowsiness. 
It just allows the body to stay in a more relaxed state, but how it works on modulating, it's basically like a neuromodulator. It helps modulate the levels of neurotransmitters. So it, it kind of brings you to this calm, relaxed state. So therefore, it's conducive to better sleep. That's how it improves your sleep, not by making you drowsy, but because you're more relaxed, it's easier to fall asleep and fall into a deep sleep. It also helps lower levels of stress and anxiety overall because of that. Now, it's not endogenously produced, so it's not made by your own body. It cannot be produced within the body. And it's not an essential amino acid, so we don't need this to survive, okay? So not essential, not endogenously produced. You can only get it from external sources. It is found in – they believe in the highest quantities in green tea – uh, white tea is kind of next down the line with how much, uh, how high the levels of L-theanine are. So green tea, white tea, oolong, and then black tea. And there are also some mushrooms. I don't know which ones, but there are some mushrooms that also contain it as well. It's also got an antioxidant effect on the brain. So if you listen to my most previous episode, that's fucking very, very good. We love antioxidants. <laughs> Uh, especially when it's something that can cross the blood-brain barrier. So it's very neuroprotective in that matter. It helps with inflammation. It helps with oxidation within the brain, um, within the central nervous system. And its bioavailability is very high. So that means how much of it, once you consume it, how much of it is actually available within the body that's not being kind of eaten up through digestion and this and that. So its bioavailability is between 72 and 74%. It crosses the blood-brain barrier within an hour of consumption. And some studies are also claiming that it may aid in ADHD symptoms for certain individuals as well, okay? Because it is a neuromodulator, it's helping kind of calm down activity in certain parts of the brain without being a sedative. It is found that L-theanine is a neuromodulator and it can reduce glutamic release like I said, because it competes at the binding site, it enhances GABA levels, it enhances dopamine release, and it does all of this by regulating GABA and glutamate. And because of this, it goes a really long way in lowering the rate of mood disorders such as depression and anxiety because in individuals with depression and anxiety and other mood disorders, there are specific abnormalities in the levels of both those neurotransmitters. So when you look at anyone with anxiety, depression, if you look at their GABA and their glutamate levels, you're going to find abnormalities there. Studies have also found that if you pair L-theanine with caffeine, it is a really, really effective way to increase focus during demanding tasks. So green tea is really good for that because green tea also has caffeine in it. But they found that the caffeine that you need to pair it with is kind of half of that of a cup of coffee. So it's not like you need these obscene amounts of caffeine and then L-theanine. You can have like 40 milligrams of caffeine and, you know, enough of like maybe 200 milligrams of a green tea and you're going to find that's going to really help with, you know, a difficult task. Now, I I did want to mention a study, a study by Shinsuku et al. in 2019. It was a randomized placebo-controlled crossover double-blind trial. That's one of the strongest kinds of trials you can do. It's very, very strong as far as studies are concerned with, you know, knocking out potential um, co-founding variables and things like that. So it was done to examine what effect four weeks of L-theanine administration on stress symptoms and cognitive function could have on healthy adults. So this study was carried out over four weeks. Well, it was actually longer than four weeks, but they were looking at the four-week effect. Uh, And it was done on a healthy population. So what they deemed healthy population was people with no psychiatric disorders, but who did suffer from sleep issues and mood and cognitive problems, okay? They were given 200 milligrams per day in a tablet form, and that's how they did the placebo controlled where they had a group that was taking a tablet but which had nothing in it then they had a washout period uh, and then they crossed the groups over and did the same thing they found that after four weeks stress stress symptoms went down anxiety traits and depressive traits also went down and sleep quality improved they also found that cognitive function so when tested on verbal fluency and executive function improved as well which is fucking amazing. Absolutely love that for us. And this is in four weeks. This is 200 milligrams of L-theanine over four weeks. So 
it's pretty impressive what it can do. So you could be having one to two cups of green tea a day and you're getting a decent amount of L-theanine and that's going to be really neuroprotective and it's going to help you stay in a calm, relaxed state without making you feel drowsy. So it's pretty unbelievable. There's no reason why we shouldn't be having a bloody cup of fucking green tea every single day. Now you can get it in supplement form, but it is more expensive and it's quite difficult to pull out the L-theanine and have it in high quantities in a supplement form. It's possible. And there's also supplements that combine L-theanine with other things. So if you can find it in a supplement, 100% take it. That's great. But green tea is really, really good alternative to this or oolong tea or a white tea. It's a great source of L-theanine and it's a really, really good way to start your morning if you are someone that suffers from a mood disorder such as anxiety. All right. So give it a go. Implement it in your day and see if you notice a difference if you do it every single day after four or so weeks. Good times. I'm interested to hear what you have to say. Anyway, that's the brain fact for today. Right. So to begin this episode, I have a listener question that is going to tie in really well with FOMO and it's also going to talk about dealing with people who have FOMO around you and it makes it difficult for you to, you know, hang out with other people or not invite them, et cetera, et cetera. So let's get into it. Hi, Alexis. I absolutely love your podcast. It has changed how I view myself, the world, and how I treat people, all for the better, of course. Thank you. Thank you so much. I would really love a podcast to help with dealing with people that have FOMO. I have a coworker that has FOMO really bad. I can't do anything with anybody else because she'll come at me wondering why she wasn't invited. And the activity isn't even something that she would be interested in. For example, I have been training, I have been training my friends at the gym and we have been having such a great time. And when we talk about it at work, she feels left out. But she would never be a gym person. If you even remotely talk to her about the gym or eating healthy, she changes the vibe and says that we're insulting her. I planned a brunch date with one of my friends and we can't talk about it in front of her because it'll make her sad and make her upset that we didn't invite her. And we accidentally slightly mentioned the time that we were going and she grilled us to try and figure out what we would, why we were being sneaky and what we were being sneaky about. But we don't want to listen to how she's not invited, so we try to avoid it. She is overall negative, an energy sucker, bullying, and a sarcastic person. She's not my vibe to begin with, and I do push myself away from her and put up those boundaries. But sometimes it just eats at me that I can't have relationships with other people because she's going to call it out. Oh, and any tips you have for dealing with a person whose love language is sarcastic bullying would be great. I've told her that that's not my love language and I don't appreciate the way she talks to me, but she would never change her habits. So I feel I have to figure out ways to put up boundaries for myself to not feed into that energy and let it ruin my day. Hope you see this and I appreciate all that you do. Thank you so much for sending this through. Firstly, to quickly answer your question, sarcastic bullying is absolutely not a love language. Not That's not love. A love language, by definition, should be a way of showing love. So that would be... I guess her communication style, and I reckon that that's falling under passive-aggressive to a more aggressive side of passive-aggressive, I would imagine. So I'm going to be covering answering this in more detail. But one thing that I do about, you know, in general, but for your specific story, what I would say is this person is not your friend. Just because you work together, you do not have to socialize with this person outside of work. And she doesn't seem like she, like you get along that great anyway. It's not like you guys, it's not like you fucking love her, but you're going to this thing that you know she'd hate and you feel bad because it's left out. doesn't sound like that at all. She literally, you literally said she is not my vibe. She's an energy sucker. She's negative. She's a bully. Okay. So this person is just absolutely not your person. You should not feel like you have to invite this person out just because you work together. I'm sorry, but it's not your responsibility. And as long as you are respectful and polite and kind to her, obviously to an extent where if she's bullying you, you can put up a fucking boundary and not deal with her. But as long as you're doing what's necessary within the workplace so you can both have a good relationship while at work, you have no further responsibilities to do anything else with this person, okay? The fact that she gets all upset and grills you about it is fine. It's not your problem. You just have to learn how to deal with it. You just have to learn to be like, you know what, this is inevitable. The more you hide what you do, the longer this is going to carry on. You need to be, I know this sounds awful, and I'm not saying rub it in her face, but don't hide it anymore. 
Once she establishes in her mind that it's clear that what she has with you is not a friendship and what you have with the other people at work is a friendship, then she's going to stop asking and it's probably going to cause more of a separation for the better in the workplace because it's perfectly normal to have friendship groups outside of other people in the workplace, even if that friendship involves people within the same workplace. That is okay as long as you are not rubbing it in her face intentionally. But if she asks, what did you do on the weekend? You can say, oh, myself and the other person that works here went and did blah. And if she says, why wasn't I invited? Just say, well, it's because we were discussing it and we decided to go. Don't go into, oh, because we didn't want to invite you and this and that. Just say, because we decided to go. How often is she inviting you to do things? I don't know. How often is she putting in the effort to be a good friend to you guys? Doesn't sound like very often. So, If I were you, I I know it's uncomfortable. It's not that it's going to be easy. But if this person is just not a nice person in general, then you don't have to be going out of your way to be inviting her places. Just don't make it so you're actively trying to make her feel bad that she wasn't invited. But if she's asking, it's okay to be honest. Do you know what I mean? It's not like you're saying, guess what we did. She's asked the question. You know, it's fine to say, yep, we went out. Yes, we did this. And also, this person is not something you want to hang out with. So if, if it were me, I would just be fucking straight up. You haven't committed a crime. You've gone out to the gym, for fuck's sake. So not your problem. I'm sorry, but absolutely not your problem in this scenario. I am going to talk about how to deal with people with FOMO who you do like later on in the piece. Now, what is FOMO? FOMO is a fear of missing out. It's this idea that it is better over there or that people are going to have experiences without me or that people are going to have conversations without me or knowledge that I don't have based on me not being a part of a conversation or an event, okay, or a group of people. We don't want to miss out on a group activity and we feel fearful that if we don't go to an event that we were invited to, then we're going to feel totally left out. We're going to feel left behind. We're going to feel that everyone will be talking about something and experiences and inside jokes the following day and we're not going to know what the fuck is going on and we're going to feel very left out of that community or of that group, okay? That's kind of what FOMO is. Now let's break down what FOMO is and isn't um, as a quick example. Hypothetical scenario. All your friends go on a trip to some epic destination. They all stay together. They're, you know, they're at some other, some other, you know, they're in New York City. Okay. They all stay together. They go out to beautiful bars. They have some unforgettable stories. And you're at home because maybe you had exams. You couldn't get time off work. You didn't have the money to go. And you're like, fuck, I wish I was there. That's normal. That's, I don't think that's FOMO. That's pretty normal to feel like you're missing out, okay? This is this big event. You would have gone, but you couldn't. It's, it's totally normal to feel like, oh, my God, that looks so good. I wish I was there, okay? You, but it shouldn't be consuming you and you can still get on with your day and it shouldn't be provoking anxiety. It's more this like real deep desire to have, to have been able to go. Versus another scenario, you – can never say no to an invitation despite how exhausted and burnt out you are because you can't fathom missing out on a social event or something that your friends are doing because you just don't want to miss out on what was said or what was done. No matter if you see them every single day or not, no matter how much you promised yourself that you would have at least one night at home to yourself to relax, you just can't seem to do it because the thought of saying no and not being part of a conversation or an event kills you. The feeling of missing out on an invitation is worse than the feeling of burning out. So you just keep pushing through, pushing through, burning the candle at both ends. You feel genuine anxiety knowing that you're not going to be going to an event if you can't make it or if you've double booked yourself. You don't even enjoy the event that you're at because the one that you're not at, you're thinking, fuck, what are they saying? What are they doing? What kind of fun are they having? What am I missing out on? Or you are fearful that you're not in the know as much as your peers or your friends, your colleagues, or that others are going to, you know, be doing more than you or having a better time than you. That is FOMO. And that's where it's going to start affecting your life and where it's really going to start affecting your mental health. It can be really, really consuming. It can cause a lot of anxiety because it affects your behavior. It affects your decisions. It affects your relationship with yourself. It causes you to check up on people normally. What's really common now is normally checking up on people on social media 
you push yourself to go to things that you're absolutely not in the mood to go to just so you don't miss out. A lot of people that suffer from FOMO go to events that they don't even want to be at because they don't want to feel FOMO, which is wild if you really, really think about it. It's crazy. But that's what people with like genuine FOMO will do this. Now, the term FOMO became pretty popular in 2004 and it was kind of at the time of the rise of social media platforms like Facebook and, I mean, MySpace had been around for a bit as well. But the concept of FOMO has been around for a lot longer. Social media has definitely exacerbated the problem for a lot of people. Now, what makes it worse is if you're someone that's always seeking validation from only external sources, namely your friends, your social group and social media, um, if you're checking social media often and following up on what everyone is doing all the time, if you see that two of your friends are ha- hanging out on their stories and wait a minute, why wasn't I invited? Why? How, how are they hanging out? And I don't, how? Uh, a dissatisfaction with your everyday life. If you're not thrilled with your life, who you are and what you do with your time, then your focus is going to be on what others are doing and you're going to be drawing comparisons. And if you don't like what you see in comparison, then you feel that you've missed out. And you feel that you've missed out on what others get to do that you didn't get to do. And another thing that makes it worse is not actively creating purposeful moments for yourself, waiting for these moments to occur via invitation or via, you know, oh, these people hung out and my moment happened because I was hanging out with them, you know. And you, you actually are less likely to create these moments for yourself because you don't want to come up with a plan for yourself and then an invitation come through and then you've missed out. So it's kind of this vicious circle that fuels itself where you're not actively trying to do anything to create these things for yourself because you don't want to be missing it. FOMO is very heavily linked to unhappiness. And it's not not necessarily I'm depressed unhappiness. It's more so this sense of not being truly satisfied with who you are or where you are in your current circumstances. Okay. So it's not like I'm unhappy with everything in my life. I'm not, I don't like it. It's just, I'm not satisfied. I don't wake up thinking, fuck, you know, I'm just so excited to just hang out with me today and tonight. I'm going to cook myself a meal. I'm going to pour myself a glass of wine or water and I'm going to read a book or I'm going to watch my favorite movie for the 50,000th time and I'm going to fucking love it. Okay. It's the opposite of that. It's like, oh, another slog. What's, what's going to entertain me now? It's this the dread of if you've got a night where nothing's booked, being like, come on, this can't be my reality. It's that dissatisfaction. That is dissatisfaction. If you don't want to hang out with yourself, not even for a night, that screams you are not happy with your current circumstances. And this is going to, this is going to make you want to compare yourself to want to know what everyone else is doing. And in a weird way, well, I guess it's not that weird if, if you're feeling so dissatisfied, but when you see that no one else is doing anything else and everyone else is having a boring time, it actually helps you feel a little bit more at ease. So that's why you keep, you you know, checking up on social media. Oh, no one else is hanging out. No one else is, okay, I don't feel as bad about my current situation because everyone else is having a pretty average time or everyone else seems like it's pretty boring, so I, I don't really care. And the more you pay attention to what other people are doing, the more you're going to start to feel this way that feel this way of like, I need to be checking on what other people are doing to determine if I'm feeling okay or not. Cause you're, it's all about comparison. So in comparison to other people, is my life looking pretty good or is it not looking pretty good? But the problem with that is that when someone's doing something fucking epic or when a whole bunch of your mates are doing something that you couldn't do, or when two of your friends decided to go out for dinner, just the two of them, you're sitting there being like, this is fucked. This is fucked. I haven't done anything for myself. I haven't planned anything. And look at these people having fun. So it actually backfires. So instead of using it as a tool to reassure you, it ends up hurting you, okay? And if you were truly, truly happy with your circumstances and your life, and if you were actively doing things to make your days truly fulfilling, even if that means staying at home and relaxing because, and, you know, be, and doing it on purpose, if you have a purpose behind what you are doing and why, then you're way less likely to be worried about not being there. And it's okay to think, oh, that would have been nice to be there. That's not FOMO. FOMO is a true anxiety. It's a genuine fear that causes you anxiety for not being somewhere because you think of what you're going to miss out on, what conversations and what experiences you're going to miss out on. And you're thinking that you're worse off where you are versus where you could have been. And that's what's going to cause anxiety. 
It's that, I always say anxiety is the distance between where you are now and where you think you should be, not where you should be, where you think you should be. And it's okay to be like, oh, what a shame. That looks so fun. I would have loved to be there. And then genuinely move on. Not feel anxious, not feel like others had fun without you and think that it's a stab at you, not feeling like they've actively left you out. I have a few people that have written in to me on Instagram and through the and via emails that have this fear of like when other when their friends are hanging out, what does it mean about their relationship with them? And it's quite stressful to navigate these friendship groups of, you know, who's in and who's not in and all of that. But good friends are not here to leave others out. They're not trying to create an inside joke without you and they're not trying to make you feel like you have to compete to be invited somewhere. That's not a friend, okay? However, if my friend Liv and Bella hung out and then they had a hilarious thing happen, they would share the joke with me. They wouldn't look at me and then look at each other and be like, oh, my God, talking about this inside joke and not share it with me. It would be a joke that happened to them and not to me, but they would say, oh, my fucking God, Alexis, guess what happened last night? And they would share the story with me and then we could all laugh about it, okay? It's not about missing out on an, you know, it's not, it's, they're not trying. Good friends might do something without you because that's perfectly acceptable and normal, but it's not in a quest to make you feel left out. That's not the point of it. And it's not to create an experience or an inside joke that you're not a part of. If that's what your quote unquote friends are doing, find another group or hang out by yourself because your time is better spent doing that. I can tell you that for free. And just for a bit of self-awareness, there is the slim chance, maybe not even slim, there's the chance that these people are just not your people. And the reason they're hanging out all the time and never inviting you, like in this listener story that I just read, is that they're just not gelling with you. And even then is your cue to walk away. Because if someone's not wanting to invite you consistently, and if they're trying to create experiences without you consistently, and if they've got these inside jokes and laugh about it without sharing it with you, they're not your people. It's not about hating them. It's not about having a grudge. It's about being like, hey, I'm fucking reading the room here and I'm just going to take the information I need to take and I'm going to gently tap out of here and just maybe not try and hang out with you guys, okay? Simple. You've saved yourself some time. Now, if your FOMO is bad and you were to see two of your mates out for a walk together or out for dinner, you might feel this instant pang, okay? You might feel like, why, did, why didn't I get invited to go out on this walk or why didn't they invite me to dinner? I just don't understand. But you've got to you've got to think about, I mean, every friendship group is different and it might be so outrageous for two friends to do that because you're not used to doing it. But just because you're not used to something, it doesn't mean that it's not okay. So people are allowed to have fun without you and it not be about you. Just like you are allowed to have fun with just one of your friends in the group and it'd be totally okay. It's not about having a stab at other people in the group. But this comes from separating yourself from this intense need to feel a part of everything. Once you appreciate the need for everyone to nurture their relationships within the friendship group and each other, then you feel a lot, you're a lot less detached to it. If I found out that two of my friends were going out to the movies or fucking dinner or whatever together, because of the dynamic within my friends, I would not be remotely offended. But I can, I can have insight and genuinely say that if we never hung out one on one ever and it was myself and two other girls and I saw the two of them hanging out, I'd be like, oh, weird that I wasn't invited. I don't know. Like, you know, so it's, you've, got to underst- you've got to establish what is acceptable in a friendship group and what is not. But for me, if I can see that two of my friends are nurturing a relationship between the two of them, that makes me happy, genuinely happy because you want a friendship group where everyone can hang around and when you can hang around with people one-on-one. I can hand on my heart say that I can hang out with all of my friends one-on-one or three or just in groups of twos or threes and we never sling shit on any other girlfriend within the group. We're just not that kind of group. So if I see people hanging out without me, whether in the groups of two, three, if I just couldn't be there at the event and it was all 11 of us, I genuinely know, hand on my heart, 
that no one's talking shit about me and I'm not missing out on anything. And if they are talking shit about me, I'm blissfully unaware. So I equally love that for myself because I don't have any worries about it, okay? Your main thing when it comes to your friendship groups is ask yourself, do I feel loved by my friends? Is this a relationship within the group that is conducive to feeling loved, accepted and comfortable? Because if your answer is yes to everything, yes, I feel love, accepted and comfortable, then you're less likely to feel like, oh, if you're, if you're not invited to this thing where two of them have gone out or where you physically couldn't make an event because you had something else on, okay? But if you are in a group where there's a lot of, you know, com- competition and bullying and backstabbing and people bitching behind each other's backs, then of course you're going to be fearful for not being there. You're like, I'm the fucking one missing out. If I'm not there, who are they going to bitch about me? You know, you're going to start feeling that way. So it's about the quality of your friendships and that's going to determine that, well, it's going to contribute to how much FOMO you feel as well, okay? Now, what is causing this FOMO? What's causing this need to be everywhere all the time? It's got nothing to do with physical proximity with your friends because to be close to your friends, you don't have to share in every single moment with them. You can share in each other's joy from afar, okay? You don't have to be there in order for you to be closer. Um, Like Liv, my best friend right now. She's in Bali with one of our girlfriends, Lou. I fucking love that so much for her. I haven't felt any FOMO. I haven't felt any jealousy. Have I thought, God, I'd love to be there? Yes, of course I've thought that. I genuinely would have loved to be there. But it's got nothing to do with jealousy and I haven't felt that I've missed out at all. But instead, I'm commenting on all her stories and all her photos on Instagram as much as like a married middle-aged man on Instagram would and I'm just pumped for her. And when I get a reply from her or an update on her trip, I'm excited to read it, okay? I know she's having good experiences that I might never share with her but she'll have stories that she can tell me and that's great. It's awesome. That's what you want for your friends. You want them to fucking have a good time, spread their wings, come back and tell me the the beautiful stories, okay? And if you feel validated by yourself and what you do with your time, whether it seems more boring than what the other people are doing at the event or on that trip, if you're truly comfortable in yourself, then you're not going to feel this FOMO at all. It's okay to feel, God, I would have loved to be there. But the, the, the difference between that and FOMO is that FOMO causes you anxiety and fear actual fee. Okay. Now, if you put all your eggs in one basket and if you tie up your identity to always being a part of everything, to being the social one, the one that never stops, the one that never gives itself a break, you know, you never give yourself the chance to look forward to not going out because so much of your identity is built up around, I have to always be the one that's out. I have to be the one I'm, I am the party one. I am, you know, the, the, the busy one. A lot of people love their identity to be around being busy. So because of that, they don't create this space for them to just do nothing for themselves, okay? There are so many times where I will literally say, I'm not fucking doing fuck all tonight, okay? And then I'll get an invitation. I'll be like, no. And I I will say, I'm like, no, this is like I've literally set this night aside just for myself, so I'm so sorry, but no, not coming. And because I've been so intentional, I don't feel like I've missed out at all. I'm happy for everyone to go out and have a good time. I'm at home, relaxing, loving it, okay? Be intentional with your plans for yourself and for your life and you're not going to fear that you're not somewhere else. If you have crippling FOMO, don't be checking on your phone to see what people are doing at that event. It's perfectly normal to check it if you don't have FOMO, but if you have it, do yourself a favour, don't check your phone, okay? Comparison is the thief of joy. That's Theodore Roosevelt that said that. Comparison is the thief of joy. If you're constantly comparing, then you're not being present in what you're doing and you're not fully committing to the present moment now. You're just wallowing or you're, you know, you're thinking, oh, my life is this, my life is that, these people get to do that, what are they going to do? And you're just going insane in your mind while these people are just minding their business, probably having a good time and probably not even thinking about you at all. No offense, but they're probably just not, okay? Now, another thing that FOMO is, is it's heavily linked to your relationship with yourself. How comfortable are you within yourself? Okay. And it's not to say that you don't have self-love or that you're not happy with who you are. It's not that you can, but it comes down to, it's like, wait a minute, I've got to strip back. What am I fearing right now? What am I fearing? Because FOMO is fear. 
it's not what I mentioned before. It's not this, you know, very normal thing to be like, wow, it'd be really nice to be on some fucking tropical island on the other side of the world. That's fine. But FOMO, why can't I just be okay with other people having a good time and me not being there? Why? What am I not happy about? What don't I want to face when I'm alone? Why do I struggle to be alone? Why do I always have to fill up my timetable, my calendar so heavily? Why? Okay? You should be able to have a list of a million things that you could do on your own, okay, that if you found out, if you, let's say you reached out to your friends, hey, let's have dinner, and they were busy, you could be like, great, great, now this is a night that I can do X, Y, Z, you know, that I had a, a whole list of things that I could do, you know, all these ideas for myself, okay? But if you're always relying on other people to make your life entertaining and then it falls through and they can't, or worse for you, they're doing something together and you're not there, then you feel a void. You feel a gap where there was no gap. An invitation should be an added bonus to an already great life that you're having. It shouldn't be, I'm relying on this to get me through the week. I'm relying on all these events and invitations for me to feel my sense of purpose which is being the busy one, being the party one, being invited, being the life of the party, blah, 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 blah. You know, they should be additional things that make your life good. Don't rely on them as what makes your life good because then when they're not there or when an invitation falls through or when you fall sick or when you can't afford it, you don't want to feel less than a, an individual, less than who you are because you couldn't be there, okay? That's not the aim. That's not what you want to do. So you need to be putting more focus on what can I be doing for myself and why do I feel like I need all these things around me in order to feel safe and secure. Learn to love your own company and FOMO is going to be a thing of the past. If you're someone or if you know of someone who puts pressure on people around them to always be included in everything, to always be invited to everything, I can guarantee you it doesn't make people want to invite you to things anymore. I, could, I can guarantee you that. However, there's nothing more magnetic than someone who really enjoys their own company, who's not needy for an invitation of, to always be, you know, uh, considered for every event or every single thing that your friends do. You know, someone who doesn't feel like a burden. There's nothing more magnetic than someone that just enjoys their own company, doesn't need to be invited out constantly. They hold their own. When someone's like that, by default, and ironically, people want to hang out with you more, okay? And if they don't ask to hang out with you, it's just a bonus for you to spend the night with yourself. What more could you want? You know, it's just when, when all my plans fall through, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love making plans and I've gotten so much better at only committing to plans that I want to versus ones that I feel like I have to go to. I'm a lot better at that than I used to be. But even then, if a plan that I really wanted to falls through, I'm never disappointed. I'm always like, oh, got all these other things that I could be doing too, including just brainstorming something, writing, watching a documentary, a million things, just lying there with my dog Habib, who's just lying here right now actually and he's twitching because he's dreaming. It's so cute. Anyway, let's wrap it up by talking about quickly how to deal with others who experience FOMO, okay? First thing to note is that you can't actually stop someone from experiencing FOMO. It's something that they've got to work through and it's not in your control. There's nothing you can do about it. No matter what you say or do, you can't stop it. That's in them. Second thing to think about, if you really like this person and you want them to be a close friend of yours, just ensure that you are giving them the time and you're showing them what they mean to you. Okay, that you are spending time with them one-on-one, -on -one, that you do spend time with them as a group of friends if you have a group of friends, okay? I invite my friends out one-on-one -on -one sometimes and other times a bunch of them. But I also don't invite all my friends out minus one, if that makes sense. You know, that would just be a weird fucking flex. And the only time that, like, there's a bunch of girls within our big go girlfriend group because we live kind of scattered around the east coast of Australia. But in the Sydney group, there's four of us that live within one suburb of each other. And one, one of our friends, Grace, she lives over in Manly, which is, you know, like you've got to do like a 20-minute ferry ride to get there. So when we have morning coffees, I'm obviously not mentioning Grace in the group and I'm not leaving her out. It's just because the four of us live fucking close to each other, so we're going to have a morning coffee. But if we're having, you know, a girl's dinner, then 100% I'm not 
just going to exclude grace, okay, if that makes sense. So it's like be mindful of, you know, when you're inviting someone or not inviting someone because if this person's like, wow, you guys are always hanging out and I'm never invited, I'd love to be invited, there's nothing wrong with that and that's fair if it's true that you never invite that friend. So just be mindful that you are showing them the love and respect that you would want if you actually want them as a good friend, okay? If you can know for a fact that you're – you know, treating your friend, and it doesn't have to be equally because some friends are closer than others. But if you know for a fact, you're like, wait a minute, I, I love you as a friend and I know that I do invite you to things and I do want you to things. However, I don't want you to come to things. However, sometimes I just want to do something with another one of my friends. And if your friend is, has FOMO and gets upset with you about it, then this is where you need to be completely open and transparent and say, look, I actually like the fact that in our friendship group we're able to hang around one-on-one because the experience that I have hanging around with this friend of ours is different to what I get hanging around one-on-one with you. And sometimes I crave different things from different people and I like to kind of, I like to, you know, feed each friendship individually, okay? So you have to make it very clear to your friendship group that that's how you feel, You feel the importance of doing one-on-one things with your friends and it's not a stab at anyone else. And you should communicate that across. You should also say, if you and -and so-and-so hung out, I can handle my heart say, I would be truly happy for you. So it has to go both ways. You can't be like, I want to hang out with one-on-one, all my friends, I want to be the center of attention. But then if you two hang around without me, you guys can get fucked. I'm not going to talk to you again. Obviously, obviously this has to go both ways. Another thing is just make sure that the person who's got FOMO that's making you feel bad for not inviting them is also someone that invites people because a lot of people can get pissed off. A lot of your friends can be like, you didn't invite me here, you didn't, but they're never inviting, they're never planning, they're never doing anything. And if that's the case, pull them up on it. Pull them up on it, okay? And then kind of like the first example, just because you are hanging around someone all the time, like co-workers, it does not mean that you have to invite this person everywhere. Not at all. You don't have to invite them anywhere. It's your time. As long as you're treating people with respect and not rubbing shit in their face, making them feel bad, like as long as you're acting like an adult with their head screwed on, then you don't have to feel bad for not inviting someone somewhere. And you have to teach people how to treat you, okay? Remind yourself of that every single day. If someone comes up and says, oh, I heard that you and -and so-and-so went out for dinner the other night. You say, oh, my God, yes, we went to this amazing restaurant. Oh, highly recommend it. That's your answer. You don't say, oh, well, yeah, I just didn't know what you were doing, so I didn't. No, don't squirm. Don't squirm when they come up and and approach you about something because then – They're going to get what they want and they're going to think, huh, next time, now they're going to feel terrible and they're going to invite me. It's okay to talk about what you did. It's okay to say, oh, we went to this thing. It's painful the first few times, but then you're able to, once you've ripped off the Band-Aid a couple of times, it's fine. Honesty is the best policy. If someone asks you, did you go somewhere with this person? The answer is yes. Had a fucking great time. It was unbelievable. Maybe we should all go there as a group of friends, something along those lines, okay? But if someone's pulling up saying, why didn't you invite me? The answer should be, we didn't not invite you. This was something that the two of us wanted to do, okay? It's a gentle way of saying, cunt, it's not about you, all right? I'm entitled to hang around with one other individual. Love you so much. You were not that individual on that night, okay? So basically, when it comes to dealing with someone who has FOMO, you just have to be polite but blunt. Let them know it's not always about them. But if it actually is your friend, also make sure that you're giving them the time, love and attention that a friend deserves, okay? If you're kind of, you know, leaving them as the last fucking, the last monkey in the barrel or whatever the saying is, then of course they're going to feel this way and maybe you should check your behavior. Maybe you should ask, am I treating my friend the way I treat my other friends? Because they might be feeling left out and rightly so, because I'm not inviting them anywhere. Guys, Thank you so much for listening. We do have a listener question and that is all for today's episode. Love you guys so much. And can I just, before we go into the listener question, can I just say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for everyone who's sharing the podcast, sharing it with their friends, family on social media and tagging me in it. I love you so much. You guys are the real MVPs. Danke. Listener question time. All right. So here is a listener question. Um, This one is, is there's a couple of questions here. So I'm going to ask the questions out all in a row and then I'm going to discuss it a little bit further. 
Hi, Alexis. I'm writing to suggest a topic for the podcast. This one is associated with intimacy and sexual compatibility. There's a few questions. One, how much emphasis should we be adding on sex in a relationship? Two, how to rekindle the spark if sexual desire has depleted over time? Three, is it possible to be in a healthy long-term relationship even if sex has become boring? And four, the pressures of society expecting us to have the perfect sex life. Thank you in advance. Okay, so I think it's really important to, you know, depending on your age, depending on who you hang around with, depending on how much sex is discussed, not just in society, but in the people that you hang around with, you might feel that you're comparing your sex life to your friend's sex life, your sister's, your whatever, people around you's sex life. And it becomes really difficult when you start to draw comparisons and think that maybe your sex life is just not what it should be. Or maybe you're just not having sex at all and you're freaking out thinking, well, I know this isn't normal. What does this mean? Number one, you have to understand that there's no right or wrong standard here when it comes to how often you should be having sex as far as the pressures of society is concerned, okay? Your sex drive and your partner's sex drive is likely going to fluctuate throughout your life. It would be very, very rare for both people's sex drive to not fluctuate at all through the lifetime of your relationship or through your own lifetime. That would be very rare. I'm sure it's possible, but very unlikely. Your sex drive will change and that's completely normal. And it's also no one's business how often or how not often you have sex. People are not privy to that information unless you want them to be privy to that information. None of their fucking business, okay? So you don't even have to say, oh, if if someone asks you how often do you and your partner have sex, just say, oh, I don't like to talk about, you know, my sex life because it involves somebody else. You know, I've said that before. There's been times where people have asked me about my sex life and at the time I've said, look, given that my sex life involves another person, I'd rather not talk about it in public, you know, because I'm also, the moment I divulge about my sex life, I'm also divulging about my partner's sex life. Maybe my partner doesn't want that information discussed. So there's a really, really easy way to get out of it if you don't want to be discussing your sex life. That's the first thing. Then to cover the other top, the other questions, intimacy and sex can be completely separate. There, You can be a very intimate couple but not have sex often at all, okay? You can still want to kiss, hold each other, cuddle at night, lots of physical contact but when it comes to the actual act of sex, you might feel like I just don't have the drive. It's got nothing to do with how much I love my partner. I fucking adore them. They're my person. I fucking love them and they might also feel the same way. It might be both ways. It might be one-sided. It might be one-sided but alternate so when someone wants to, the other person doesn't and vice versa and you're just not kind of correlating with your sex drive. That is very possible. But this idea of intimacy and sex and can you be intimate without having sex, absolutely. And you can be very, very passionately in love without having sex. And it is possible to have a healthy long-term relationship even if the sex has become boring. But I think the really important thing here is to keep communication open because, for example, if you're the person that doesn't want to have sex and your partner's kind of just rolling with it, then for you, you're like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. I don't want to have sex and I'm not having sex and I love this person so everything's fine. Not necessarily. You just need to make sure that you're talking to your partner about it and expressing how you're feeling and understanding how your partner is feeling, okay? Because your partner might silently be suffering, being like, there's this massive need for me and it's not being met and I don't know what to do and I I feel really frustrated and I don't want to hurt their feelings by bringing it up all the time. So I think the number one thing here is to talk to your partner and keep communication open. There's many reasons why someone might not be having sex in a relationship, okay? Uh, and most of the t- – well, no, I wouldn't say most of the time, but a lot of the time it's completely unrelated to how much you love the other person or how attracted you are to the other person or how much you want to be with them, okay? You might still want to have the intimacy but the sex drive isn't there and many things can impact this. It could be your hormones. It could be your stress levels outside of the home and also within the relationship. It could also be, this is a common one, if one partner has had a very low sex drive for a very long time, it could have killed your libido and then your partner turns around and finally wants to have sex and you're like, no, 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 (laughs) it's too far gone for me. I'm fucking, I just can't, 
I can't get into it now. That's really, that's really common in a lot of couples. Okay. So this all comes down to communication. Another reason is for some people, sex is very painful. They love their partner. They want to be with their partner, but because of the pain, their libido has just gone down because they're like, I'm fucking, I've associated too much pain with it. Every time I've tried, it hurts. Can't do it. And so they've just managed a relationship where they're not having sex or they're having it very little. All right. But I think what you need to determine is where is my partner sitting with this? And it should be a conversation that's not this taboo topic. It shouldn't be that when your partner raises it, you're like, no, nah, you've offended me. I can't talk about it. You, this is one thing that it really only involves the two of you, okay, unless you have a professional who's assisting you, but it should only involve the two of you. You shouldn't be thinking, well, my friends, blah, blah, blah. And you shouldn't start conversation saying, I know that so-and-so has sex this often, so-and-so has sex that often, because that's really irrelevant because your neighbors might be having sex every fucking day, but they're not waking up in the morning and kissing each other saying, good morning, I love you so much before looking at their phone. Do you know what I mean? So what equals healthy in one relationship is not necessarily healthy in every other aspect within that relationship. So to draw comparisons and to bring comparisons with what your friends or your neighbours or what people on TV or whatever, people on the podcast that you listen to, what they're doing, you can't be bringing that into your relationship and saying, well, that must be normal, we're not normal, okay? I think that to kind of summarise all the questions that you've asked, number one, Talk to your partner. Are you on the same page? Are you not on the same page? You probably already have this answer, okay? If things get really difficult, and another really difficult thing is if, for example, if one of the two has a very high sex drive and the other one has zero sex drive at all, that's what I think it's important to, number one, I would go to a GP and talk about this. You might It might be some, something as simple as a hormonal imbalance, and that's something that there are a lot of things that can be done around that hormonal imbalance, especially if you know that you in the past have had a high sex drive. There's, there's things that can be done. And then another thing could be exploring sex therapy to see if there are any emotional blocks there. And that would be something that's absolutely not in my realm that I can't really talk about in depth. But that's something that you could explore with a therapist who can help you release these emotional blocks that you might have around it. And there could be blocks even within the relationship. You know, a lot of couples adore each other, love each other, but due to certain lifestyle factors and stresses, the, the, this passion for sex has kind of gone out the window and they're kind of each other's soulmate, but the sex is gone and they struggle to bring it back. And that's something where a therapist can help you bring it back. But you've got to make sure that you are communicating with your partner and that your partner has a safe space with you to talk about it. Okay. Uh, hopefully that kind of covered what you were saying. Fingers crossed. Anyway, thank you so much for listening, guys. Love you so much. As always, remember, be kind to yourself, be kind to your brain. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Duncan.